0: the Lord amen amen I I always am I'm so blessed like I said I'm so blessed to um, to be in the presence of fellow believers I don't take it for granted and we've been praying that the Lord will help us to unite with the body and I don't think the body is this building I don't think it's just this group but I believe that God's got people in a lot of places that are hungry for him now, we need the fellowship. We need the fellowship of the Lord. Amen? Why don't you look at somebody and just tell them, you know what, I need you. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Uh, it's, part, it's part of what my life... Br- Brother Nathan said it today. You need me to make it. You said it, so I get to say it. Um, I heard a line I've been thinking about, and, and it's so true. It, it's really you know simple, but I heard a line in a, in a bluegrass song the other day. It said, speaking of Jesus, he said, he can make it without me, but I can't make it without him. And how many have found that to be true? Um, most of you have heard me preach a lot of times. And the Lord laid something on my heart a few, a few months ago, and I, I had assumed I would be preaching it just to, to our people. But I'm going to believe tonight that God has brought you here for the purpose of hearing what he has to say to your spirit tonight. How many would agree with that? <clears throat> I don't think it's by chance. Um, I, I don't think, I said this morning, and I really believe this, when we add up all of the things in our life and we look at all the circumstances, something has brought us to here right now. And I don't believe that the Lord does things by chance, but I believe that God orchestrates, that God sets up, and that God's got something to speak to each of us tonight. Amen? So I want you to open your Bibles to Mark, the 10th chapter. Um, as you're turning there, I am I'm so blessed by Brother Tim and his ministry, and thank you for sharing last night, for Roderick, and to share for Nathan today, uh, old friends. It's funny that we, that we all started out there pretty much near the same area, and we all kind of end back up here, with the exception of Nathan, we're praying for him to get saved, and he can kind of move here to, to Oklahoma, but at some point, you know, but um, we all kind of end up here in the same, in the same vein, and uh, to be gathered together here is just, it's an awesome thing. We're thankful for the Lord's provision and taking care of all that we've needed here. But I believe that God's going to speak to us. Now I want you to look at the 46th verse in the 10th chapter of Mark. Very familiar setting or a story. Most of you would know it exactly. You already know what happened. But I want to pull out some things that the Lord just put in my heart. Some things that I hadn't really thought about. And so I'm going to share them with you. And I'm going to believe that, that God's going to touch your life tonight. And they came to Jericho, the 46th verse. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And when they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said to him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Lord, I ask you tonight. God, we've had so many things going on, and we, we've enjoyed our time of fellowship. But I pray that you would steady my heart and help me to deliver what you have put in here. God, I pray that you would prepare our ears to receive your word. God, that you would open our hearts to be responsive. Jesus, and if we may have rejected your voice many times before, I pray that you would speak clearly and loudly toward us tonight, God. Speak in such a way that we cannot refuse you. Help us to hear you, Lord, and we're going to come to you, Jesus. And everybody say amen. Just outside the gates of the city of Jericho, there sat a unique beggar. He is the last person that Jesus heals in the book of Mark. Bartimaeus is the only person named in the book of Mark which is healed by Jesus. He holds a unique position. There's something about his name that strikes me as I read it. I don't know if you caught it, but something stood out. I've never thought about it before, and all of a sudden... A few months ago, I was reading this passage, and it jumped out at me. Look at, look at, the I believe it's the 46th verse there, and it says, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. When they see him, Jericho being the last leg toward Jerusalem from that direction, that they, the last big city that they would encounter about 20 miles away, And he is sitting outside the gates on the side of Jerusalem toward that journey that the pilgrims, the Jews going toward Jerusalem would make frequently. He sits there and probably is well known by those who are coming by. Known enough that Mark could state his name with the belief that people would know who he was. If he was just a man that nobody knew, then he wouldn't have given his name. He would have just said a blind man. And some of the other gospels on this record do say just a blind man. But Mark says his name, and he identifies him. When they see him, they don't say, hey, there is a beggar. They don't say, hey, there is Bartimaeus. But they literally say unto him, there's blind Bartimaeus. His disability has become his definition. His dysfunction is directly attached to his name it's a surname it's part of him and i've thought about this i've spoken in these terms many times i'm sure as as all the pastors here which we we're so thankful we have several pastors here tonight and i'm so thankful for men of god who will stand up and preach the gospel amen i've thought about these things a lot of times how that our failures or our our disability our dysfunction our, our problems can sometimes become our definition They're the things that people recognize more quickly than our successes. How many know that's true? You can can do a lot of really good things, and you do one stupid thing, and that's the one thing your wife's going to remember the rest of your life. So many times our, our failures define us. And in this case, this is something that Bartimaeus can do nothing about. He has no ability to change his condition. The drunk can be delivered. The prostitute can be forgiven. But for Bartimaeus, there is no hope. There's no corneal replacement available to him. There's no LASIK eye surgery that could help him see again. For the blind man born in this day, there is zero hope. There's no chance that anything is going to improve. They're not going to make medical breakthrough. He will never be known as Bart or Timmy. He will always be blind. That's his moniker. But there's something else that stands out about his name. Bar in the Hebrew meaning son of. And Mark then identifies him as blind, son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. Isn't that interesting? Because Bar being son of, Timaeus being the name of the father, he repeats this. He emphasizes this. This is blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. The fact that Mark repeats his name leads me to believe that blind has become so attached to Bartimaeus that Mark felt the need to clarify that he actually was a son of a man called Timaeus. This is an interesting thing. Now, I'm not just going to stay here all. I just want to set something up for you, something to think about. And that name Timaeus was important enough that it it was distinguished enough to mean something to somebody. So he's not just blind Bart, but he's blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. I want to be really clear. This is Timaeus' son. That's what Mark is saying. The very structure of his name. Bartimaeus brings a complexity that is not found anywhere else in the scripture. Bar, the Hebrew name for son, and Timaeus, the Greek name, Timaeus. This is the only name that I can find in scripture where the Hebrew and the Greek are combined to produce a singular name. So then who is this Timaeus? that he's important enough that there would be some distinction given unto him. Well, I really do not know exactly who Timaeus is, but I can tell you something that I think is possible and at least was interesting to me because I begin to think about this. The fr- famous Greek philosopher Plato wrote one of his most common or most well-known works about 400 years before this time, 400 years before Christ. This book is Plato's account of the formation of the universe. His explanation of the order and the beauty of it. And that the universe and its various parts produce a vast array of good effects. It's his answer for creation. Anybody have an idea what the name of that book is? Timaeus. Timaeus is Plato's answer for the structure, for the the very formation of things, and that all of this is working together for good. Now, I don't know if Bartimaeus had a Jewish proselyte as a father, or if he was just a well-known Greek. It's possible that Bar is added to Timaeus by the Jews in order to mock Greek philosophy. It could simply be a nickname. I don't know. But what is clear is that Bartimaeus is a Hellenistic Hebrew hybrid. He sits in the, in the dirt outside the gates of the city of Jericho. He is rejected from society as a whole. He does not fit in anywhere. He doesn't fit in with the heathen and he does not fit in with the holy. Anybody ever felt that way? His blindness mocks the intellect of the Greeks, and it offends the piety of the Jews. There is no hope for change. There is no medical cure. He is delegated to the dirt. He's dilapidating in the dust. Yeah, I'm using alliteration to help you remember. He is devoid of his dignity, marked. He wears a specific coat that they can recognize that this man is one of the lepers, the cripples, and the blind. It serves multiple purposes. The coat does. It keeps him warm. It protects him from the elements. And it serves as a catch basin for somebody who might walk by and have mercy and throw a a slice of bread his way or possibly a coin but it also acts to buffer against those who are walking by to make sure they don't get too close because you know if you're holy you can't be you can't be surrounded by the fiddle faddle you can't get too close to those who who are disabled who have problems because it might rub off on you. We see this story just in the story of the good Samaritan who's left hurting and broken and and half dead alongside the road and the priest walks by and he can't have anything to do with him because it would affect his holiness. And I got this thought that just comes to me over and over again that if in fact I am holy, I'm not holy by what I'm doing, I'm holy because Jesus is working something in me. And if he is working it in me, I better be able to extend that holiness out to one who needs it. And if I can't extend that holiness out to one who needs it because it's going to get me dirty, then it's my holiness and not the Lord's. If something that I've got cannot be able to approach the need in someone else's life, then I've got something that isn't very much of God at all. I've got something that might be religious. I have something that might be pious but I don't have something that's of Jesus. It keeps him separate. He wears this coat every day. I don't think he gets a new one. I can imagine in my mind what this must look like after so many years of wearing it. He is a beggar. He is begging for food. He's not going down and buying the newest trend in blind fashion. He is hoping to get enough to make it through the day, and then his hope for tomorrow will be that he can make it through the day. He's positioned there with no chance for change. And all at once, there is a commotion. It's headed right toward him. I don't know, you probably know this, if any of you have been around blind people um, you may have a family member or somebody you've known. But oftentimes that those who become blind, their other senses are heightened. Has anybody ever seen that? They're able to perceive things because their hearing is heightened or their, their, their uh, ability to smell is heightened and, and their touch is heightened because of, of the other, other disability that this, these other things raise up. And he hear this commotion coming at him. He can hear it. It's approaching him. The thumping of the feet. Throng of voices. We know this happens all the time when Jesus is coming. People, there's a commotion because people are trying to get near him. They're trying to approach him. They're they're trying to touch him. They're trying to get an audience with him. Jesus, I've got this, I've got this need over here. Man, my, my daughter's sick. My son is hurting. Hey, this guy's full of the devil. He needs deliverance. And this, is, this commotion is happening. Now, Bartimaeus at the, at the beginning is hearing this noise, but he does not know what's approaching him. He cannot see them. Will they see him? Will they see him in time? Is he in danger? Will he be trampled by this crowd? He does not know whether he should get out of the way, whether he should stand up, whether to move right or left. All he knows is there is a commotion. It's a large crowd. And now he begins to reach around him trying to tug the hem of someone's garment around him that might answer. Maybe the crippled man who can see can tell him what's happening. And he begins to say, hey, what's going on? What's happening around me? Do I need to move? Help me, somebody. And as he's making a commotion, someone says unto him, It's Jesus of Nazareth. What's going to happen? So now he changes. He, he no longer is even looking for those around him to give him assistance. Something changes in his mindset. Hope springs to life for the first time inside of him. He has to have heard something of Jesus. He has to know if it was just a man that that he had never heard of, he would not have any anticipation that this man could do something to help his condition. But he begins to cry out. And he says, Jesus, thou son of David, mercy on me his cry is unique his cry is as unique as his name it is different than everybody else who's cried out toward Jesus he is the first one to call for help by using the name of Jesus he identifies him as the Messiah, when he yells toward him, Thou son of David. This is anathema to the Jews.
1: i got—I got
0: to have you stop for a moment and begin just to think on that. That by calling Jesus the son of David, he is risking the, 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 the help, the assistance of the very ones the only ones who can possibly help him from day to day. Those who are traveling along the way from Jericho to Jerusalem to go to their solemn feast and their fast and their celebration and their ceremonies. And they are walking by him frequently. They are the only ones who can offer him help. But when he cries out, Son of David, he offends every single Jew within earshot. pious ones might throw a piece of bread his way, but not if they become angry. They tell him, be quiet, shut your mouth, stop that. But he has now placed all of his eggs in one basket. You understand that situation? He has completely given everything. You know, i thought about this because if I had sat, now we don't know how long, but... Let's suppose he's my age. In 45 years, he has sat begging. Every day of his life, all as long as he can remember, he has sat begging for someone to help him for the instant. And now he says, you know what? I don't care if I live or if I die. I am throwing everything I've got into the basket of the one who's walking toward me. And if he doesn't help me, then I guess I'm just going to perish because nobody else is going to help me after this. And I wonder if that's not exactly how we have to come to the Lord. With that expectation of, I have given everything to you. I've heard my dad say many times. That if this relationship, this God that we serve, this one that we talk about. If he is not true, then I guess we would die and go off into some abyss somewhere but I have staked everything in my life on the fact that Jesus is truth. I have invested wholly, completely, 100% everything in the belief that Jesus is the one that I've been waiting for. It is in this moment that Bartimaeus' identity And his future are linked to his revelation of Jesus Christ. Something happened. A lot of people calling out to Jesus. A lot of people saying, Jesus, I need you. But Bartimaeus says something that nobody else around him is saying. When he sees the revelation of who Jesus is, that confession gets the attention of God. I Thought about this, and i, I don 't want to be long here. I, I mentioned this to our church a few a few months ago, but I begin to think about Peter in Matthew chapter sixteen. His name is at this point Simon Barjona, and he is asked by the Lord, who do men say that I am? And he says, some believe you're this one and some believe you're that one. They think that you're a prophet. They think you're a good man. And, and the Lord says, but who do you say that I am? And in this moment, Peter's identity, Peter's future, is locked up in the revelation of who he understands Jesus to be. Because he could have looked... Forever, he could have soul-searched, he could have dug deep, he could have gone to psychiatrists and psychologists, and he could have said, hey, i got to find the inner me. There's something down inside of me, and i got to figure it all out. But he never would have found Peter in doing that. But what he finds when he says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It gets the attention of the Lord and it changes the future of Simon's life. Simon is no longer known now as Simon Barjona, but now he is called Petros, the rock, the one on whom so much of the church is going to be built, his, his confession, his faith, the, the day of Pentecost, the book of Acts. So much of this is built on the very revelation that he professes and confesses that day. And Bartimaeus stumbles upon this same identity. There is something for each of you here tonight in the revelation of who Jesus is. If you can see him, the scripture says in John, if you can see him, you will be like him because you will see him as he is. The problem is we've got all kinds of churches in all kinds of denominations and nobody is talking about Jesus. So we're not seeing him and we're not being shaped into his image. We're being filled with religion. We're being filled with duty. We're being filled with the law. We're being filled with all those things, Brother Nathan, that you talked about today. All of this stuff we're trying to shove into the glove. And the Lord says, that's what I'm trying to fill. But we're not seeing him. Because he's not the one being talked about. I grew up in all of that mess. And it left me broken and hurting. But now let me bring this story to each of us. We've all sat by that roadside of life. Broken, hurting, and hopeless. Bound by spiritual blindness. Unable to see or change our condition. How many could say, I've been there? Some of you might say, I am there. Bound by fleshly desire that can seem unbeatable. Bound by bitterness that has crippled our future. Bound by literal sickness that has inhibited our abilities. But I have some good news for you tonight. Jesus is walking down the road in your direction. He's here. He's here tonight. I want you to look at Mark chapter 4. something happening on the ipad that's okay <laughs> mark chapter 4 this is the very first words sorry luke chapter 4 is what i meant luke chapter 4 this is the first time that jesus now he he's he's come out of the wilderness and and we know this passage of scripture too but i want to bring out something that that really is is really plain that we probably have overlooked so many times Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus takes the scroll and begins to read. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him he explains the function of his anointing it came clear to me we we think of these and we automatically apply them to spiritual condition All, all of those things that he just read in out of Isaiah 61 that that he quoted we think of them all in spiritual... But I want you just to place yourself in the Bible day. In that day when Jesus is sitting there reading this, this scroll. I want you to think about what those words meant then. Because it wasn't just this spiritual thing. And boy, God's going to do all these spiritual things in us. And the spiritually broken will be healed. And the spiritually blind will be healed. And What, what is he saying? This is the function of his anointing. To heal the broken. Why? Because you can't follow Jesus if you're so broken that you can't get off the floor. To deliver the captives. Why? Because you can't follow Jesus if you are bound and locked up. To give sight to the blind. Why? Because you can't follow Jesus if you can't see him. To liberate the oppressed. Why? Because you can't Follow Jesus if the load you are carrying is too heavy for you to bear. So the words that Jesus is speaking on this day, while they, yes, do have spiritual connotation to our lives today, they have a very real and, and natural emphasis that Jesus is in the business of liberating people, healing people, so that they can literally follow Him that's what he was saying that day and now we apply that to us and he closed the book and he sat down and man this grabs me every time I read it and every eye was fastened upon him I'm going to give you a clue tonight about the preaching that goes on from many pulpits today the result Of the word of Jesus. The result of the ministry of the spirit of God. Is not various manifestations. It's not weird signs and wonders. It is not Pentecostal experience. But it will be evident. Certain that the Lord is present and working. When every eye is fastened upon him. If I'm done preaching tonight. And you do not fasten your eyes upon Jesus, then I have not spoken His word. Because His word leaves you anticipating more from His word. His word leaves you saying, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Speak another word to me. Speak the word, Lord. My heart longs to hear you this is the evidence that the word the ministry the spirit of the lord has been active in a place every eye looking every knee bowing every tongue confessing but sadly our pulpits seem to have lost the emphasis on jesus this one is preaching grace this one's preaching judgment This one's preaching holiness. This one's preaching signs and wonders. This one eternal security. This one baptism. This one Pentecost. This one rapture. This one cessationism. This one millennial reign. We got all kinds of messages going out. And you can take it or you can leave it. I heard, I don't know if you remember Todd Bentley, he preached, was leading The Lakeland Revival. Anybody remember the Lakeland Revival? I was watching it. They were broadcasting it every night on God TV, I think it was, which I don't know how that even works, but I was watching it every night. Just blown away by the stupidity of what was going on in that place. And I heard Todd Bentley get up. God's anointed man, who on the side is running around with women, who was a known child molester that they did nothing about, who's going out to the bars, I heard Todd Bentley get up and literally say these words. Now, I can't remember verbatim because it's been, how, 15 years, whatever it was, but I heard him say these words almost exactly. We have heard enough about Jesus. Now it's time to hear about angels. heard it brother we were talking at lunch today and simon was was there and he's not here tonight but we nathan and i know we've 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 both heard it guys get up and say well we've talked enough about jesus now it's time to talk about the holy ghost we got a lot of people who are done with jesus we got a lot of people who are tired of hearing about jesus and you can take it or you can leave it but I'm going to tell you what I am hungry for. I am hungry for the word of Christ that goes forward that leaves me anticipating and longing and fastening my eyes upon him. I don't care what else happens. Listen, and I'm not trying to beat up all these, all those that maybe, maybe we worship and the different, the different things. You've got to think I'm losing my battery. I'm going to grab a mic because then I'm going to let the devil win. Is it? There we go. I can think about all, all the different ways that, that we do the things that we believe. And I, and I shared this when I preached over at Brother Denton's church a few weeks ago. I'm not trying to attack the way that maybe we believe. We have different churches represented here tonight and different people. I'm not saying that we don't live by our convictions or, or do the things that we believe are right before the Lord. But ultimately, if it is not leaving us with our eyes fastened upon Jesus... We need to let it go. Even worse, if it's not leaving us with a hand extended to the brother and the sister who do not see it the way we see it, then we've got the wrong message. Every eye
1: fixed upon him.
0: Every eye fixed upon him. I just want to hear a word of the Lord, and I'm thankful that my dad, our pastor, does this. I know people who come to our church, maybe new and repeat come, might think, man, you guys sure talk about Jesus a lot. Well, try 27 years of it. Message still hasn't changed. Why? Because I can't fix you. I can't help you. I can't deliver you. I can't open your eyes. I can't heal your ears. I can't do anything to deal with the emotional problems in your life. I can't give you peace. I can't give you joy. Echoes of Calvary has nothing to offer you tonight. But Jesus does. And we're trying to point to Him if we can get our eyes fixed and fastened upon Him. I was thinking about this because I don't intend to change what anybody believes. I don't intend to transform anybody's theology, but I hope to redirect your attention. That's what I'm trying to do tonight. I'm I'm trying to redirect your attention. There's this verse in Hebrews, and I'm going to give you kind of the Kincaid paraphrase version, but in the first chapter of Hebrews, it says, and when he introduced The prototokon. The prototype is really the transliterated word in the Greek. The firstborn is the word in the King James. When he introduced the prototype into the habitable world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. All worship has been redirected. In the heavens and in the earth, there is no other name higher. No other power greater No salvation given in any other name but the name of Jesus. He's the one we've got to focus on. He's the one we must look to. So we, like Bartimaeus, have a choice. Jesus has heard your heart's cry tonight. I I don't say this because we got a small crowd and most everybody here I know and we all go to church together. We have a few visitors. Listen, I'm not going to impress anybody here with my preaching. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to conjure up something. But I feel in my spirit and as I was praying this week, I felt the Lord just really confirm that He has heard your cry. I don't, as much as we're close echoes, all of you who move together out here, as much as you're We're close. I don't know what's going on inside of your heart, really. And for the visitors, I certainly don't know what's going on inside of your heart. But God has heard your cry. He knows what is needed to fix your life. But Bartimaeus, he has a choice. He has a coat. That's a friend to him. My dad shared this a few weeks ago, and I couldn't help but share it again tonight because it fits so perfectly. Fifteen, probably, years ago, we were given, me, dad, and Austin, were given these coats. We were working for a construction company, and we were given these uh, coats. They they aren't Carhartt. They look like Carhartt. They weren't, we weren't a really good business. It was a kind of an okay business that was given them to us, you know, Now have the name brand and that coat, our, our coat it has got a little symbol up here on the chest and dad has worn that coat. Almost. I, I go over to his house all the time inside the house and he's wearing it big holes all down the sleeves torn along the, the, the band that goes around the middle and, He wears it, my mom hates it and he wears it in public. Oh yeah, I have the exact same coat. I don't like it. So last year I gave my coat, which is the exact same coat, same size, same monogram and I gave it to him and I said, dad, you love this coat, I want you to have this one it's new. And he said, but it doesn't feel like this coat. And he shared with the church just a few weeks ago. He said, that coat is a comfort to me. If, I'm, if I, if I want to just rest, I put that coat on, and I sit back in that chair, and I just feel comfortable. I can't tell you the, the hundreds of times I walked into the church office and him sitting there on a day that wasn't even that cold with that coat on, studying Loves the coat. Bartimaeus loves his coat. It's a comfortable coat. He's worn it in. It's torn in the places that used to rub him. It's moved around to where it fits him the way it needs to fit him. He doesn't care what it looks like because he's blind. But it has been his literal security blanket in order for him to be able he can't reach out and take something from one so in order for him to be able to receive he's got to spread that coat out in front of him it provides for him it comforts him it keeps him warm in the winter it protects him as it can from the elements. This same verse, and I don't have time tonight. I, for the sake of time, I won't read Isaiah 61. But when you, we, we have quoted so many times Isaiah 61 and 3. He will give you the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, beauty for ashes. We have quoted this over and over and over And over again. But you can't have those things without the first verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to deliver those who are bound. Jesus isn't coming to give you a coat, a new coat for a blind man. That's not what he's offering. He's not coming and saying, listen, I know your problem's bad. I know, you're, I know you're not feeling good. I know you've got some emotional problems. I know there's some bitterness here. I know there's some, some things that are very uncomfortable for you. And I know your situation's bad. And let me, let me help you a little bit. Here's how I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you a garment that's got a bigger pain on the bottom. A bigger hem so you can catch a little bit more bread. No. He's not giving... The oil of joy to cover the stink of your mourning over your past. You can't put on the garment of praise over the top of the spirit of heaviness. There is a deliverance. There is an opening of our eyes. There is a mending of the brokenness of our hearts. Long before the beauty, there has to be the healing. And the healing, as much as we think is going to be comfortable, I've come to find out there's some times where God's work in healing and deliverance and things in my life that I need that aren't very comfortable at all. Can someone say amen? I've found out that there's some times where I have felt, and I'm not sure it's theologically correct, but I have felt at times as though the Lord lifted His hand from me just for a second so that I could see who I am without Him. Not to let me fall, but just to let me realize that without Him, I'm nothing. So Jesus is here. This old song, many of you will have heard it and know it. Tommy Bates loves to sing it. Struck my heart. Two coats were before me. The old and the new. I ask my sweet master, What must I do? The first coat was ugly, so tattered and torn. The other, a new coat, had never been worn. The first man was earthly, raised from the ground. We all bore his image, the whole world around. The next was my Savior, from heaven so fair. He gave me this new coat. You now see me wear. Now this coat, it suits me. It keeps me so warm. It's good in the winter, and it's good in the storm. My Savior has blessed me with a garment so rare. He gave me this new coat. You now see me wear. I tell you the best thing I ever did do was take off the old coat and put on the new Jesus has heard your cry tonight. He's heard the cry of the heart. I remember a pastor came by, Brother Richard Hilton came by years ago, years and years ago, and he preached a message, and I don't remember all of the message, but I remember him talking about the woman, I believe it was the woman who touched the veil of his garment, and he said she didn't even have the words to speak. There was nothing that she could have said, but there was something in her heart and I begin to think about the demoniacs who, who really are not crying out for deliverance. Many times they're saying, Jesus, leave me alone. But there's something in the heart that He knows He needs to go by and set free. And whatever the, the condition is of your life, whatever has brought you to here today, Jesus has heard your hearts cry. And the choice that we must make is whether or not we're going to continue to cover ourselves in that old coat that's so comfortable. It seems such a silly trade. It seems so obvious to me that my dad would take that brand new coat and wear it around. But I have discovered that there is a comfort for some people in brokenness. There is a comfort for some people in addiction. I remember Dustin talked about about some deliverance that needed in his life 20 years ago, 15 years ago, bound in an addiction. And he shared, he talked to me, and we're trying to help him and, and encourage him. And he said, Rodney, I've discovered something. There's two ways to find peace. Surrender or win. Both give you peace. I know some young people that I'm concerned that they've stopped fighting and they're finding peace in the sin. They're finding peace in the brokenness. They're tired of the battle and the battle is raging because Jesus wants to deliver you, but you've got to come to Him. But we've got to choose to let go of the old. I don't give altar calls often. Our church group will tell you that. And I'm not necessarily even calling to an altar right now. But if you would, I just want you to meditate for a moment on the condition of your life. Believing that the Lord himself has spoken to us tonight of the promise of what he desires to do in us. I've felt sometimes like that hopeless, heathen, Hebrew hybrid sitting beside the road, torn between an old life and a new. Torn between religion and torn between relationship with the Lord. Not understanding how to make it happen. Don't know how to fix it. But I want to encourage you right now. If you want to Open your heart to the Lord. You don't have to come down here. You can lift your hand right where you're at. You can say, Jesus, God, I'm letting go of that old coat. Putting on the new coat. This is something that's happening in my life over and over again there's some things I thought I knew a few years ago that I realize I don't know now there's one solid and it's Jesus just let the Lord minister your heart right where you sit
1: Spirit of the living God Spirit of the We affirm your presence here, Spirit of Living God. We affirm your and to